right. Well, go ahead and grab a seat. It is wonderful to be praising Jesus with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. I do want to invite you to grab your notes out of your handout, and you'll see that we are continuing a series called Tell Me a Story. Very, very excited about all the practical ways that, that we're kind of being challenged this month, not only to, to know our story, but to be ready to share it. And uh, the, I'm just excited about where God's taken us in this. I do want to begin by telling you that next Sunday, we're having a, a very special kind of an experience. Um, we're having a, a one service Sunday next Sunday, and that will be in honor of, uh, um, there's a team that's going to be playing uh, later that day. So... Yeah, I, I can tell there's some excitement in the room right now, but I do just want you to know, you please, you're free to wear your jerseys next week, all team jerseys. I mean, we will take anybody from any team. You're welcome to come, bring your friends. I mean, if you're a 49ers fan, we love you. If you're a Broncos fan, we love you. Even a Steelers fan, we love you. So, um, so yeah, we, and the reason is because we have, we have grace for filthy sinners all over the world. So... But, but I'm going to be wearing some blue and some green. I invite you to be as well. This is a great service next week to invite uh, the friends that you're going to have a Super Bowl party with. Bring them uh, to church because it's really going to be just a very, it'll be encouraging, empowering. It's the kind of message uh, that, that literally anyone will be, will, will, they'll be blessed to be here next Sunday. So please uh, make your arrangements. It's just 11 o'clock. So the 920 will be joining. Our young adult service will be joining. So it'll be a, a big family service next Sunday, 11. Okay, fair enough? All right, can we get a go Hawks? No, just kidding. Don't. Sorry, sorry, that's next week. Um, what I wanted to say, because every once in a while we get complaints like, how come, how come we don't cheer God the way that we cheer the Seahawks, right? And, and, and when we hear that, I just want you to know, number one, I do celebrate the Lord more than I celebrate the Seahawks. I know many of you do. Like, that's a reality. I'm always singing and shouting and praise. Like, that's, that's my heart. But the, the second thing I want you to know is, is that we cheer God because God's good all the time. But the Seahawks aren't good all the time, right? They're, they're just good now, and we love them, and we want to celebrate that. So, fair enough. Okay. Mike Howerton, broken theology, I know, but uh, here's, the, here's the story. Tell me a story. We want to jump in, and, and the verse that we start with is from Psalm 107, and, and we've talked about it all the time. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And so we're challenged by the scripture, and we're, we're motivated by the relationship we have with Jesus to be aware of our story and to be willing to share it. And we talked about some of the elements of that. If you missed the last couple of weeks, please go back and join us online. And be, because the idea is that we would be aware of the redemptive moments of God's intersection with our story so that we could see his hand at work throughout the course of our life. And I just want to start with one of these examples. The scripture's filled hundreds and even thousands of examples of what we're talking about. But here we are, Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. 
How kind the Lord is, how good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. What are we reading? We're reading an example of this guy's story. We're reading an example of the psalmist as he's reflecting on the redemptive hand of God throughout the course of his life. And, and, and what we've talked about and challenged you over, Lake, is that you'd think about what were the circumstances of your life? How did God's redemptive hand intersect your story? And then what has been changed as you've continued to walk with God? And, and that's why the, the psalmist ends up, I, I'm living in the presence of of God, right? That I'm, I, I'm living in his presence as long as I'm here on earth. Okay. So what I want you to understand and where we're going to go today is it's not only a challenge for us to know our story and to be willing to share our story. The challenge is God has placed you specifically where you are, surrounded by the people that you are surrounded by, so that you will draw their story out. See, it's not just a challenge that we would know our story, but that we would be willing to help others know their story and to see God's intersection in it. And so in order to do this, there are a couple of things that we're going to have to go after. If you're filling in the blanks, the first, the challenge is that you would gently ask questions of those that you are doing life with, you're working with, you're in class with, uh, those in your neighborhood, those you do coffee with. And if you don't like the word gently, you can substitute the word kindly ask questions or thoughtfully ask questions. But questions siphon out details, deeper memories, feelings, emotions beneath the surface that are untapped, sometimes even unrecognized. And in fact, Jesus says in Matthew 5.13, you are the salts of the earth. Well, what does salt do? Salt draws the flavor out of food. What is it that we're doing? We're drawing the story out of those that we're living around, those that we have influence with, those who are our friends and our loved ones. We're drawing their story out and the beauty of their story. And believe it or not, the asking of questions actually increases intimacy with those that we're hanging out with. So for example, with a, in a spousal relationship, asking questions of one another is a way to draw together. In friendship, this is a way to deepen friendships by asking questions. Because it is, it is so true that almost everyone likes answering questions about themselves. Almost every single person on the earth it feels honored to be asked questions of. In fact, I can only think of one person that doesn't want to answer any questions about himself <laughs> at all. And so if, if we're going to ask questions thoughtfully, there's a few tips that I want to give you. The first is the tip of being curious. Be curious about the people that you're doing life with, working with, in class with, neighbors with. You know, people who do all of the talking are tone deaf to the reality of others in their life. In fact, in our culture today, it's, it's sort of this misperceived notion that the most important person gets the first word in a conversation and the last word in a conversation. 
But I would argue that's actually the most insecure person. The most insecure person has to dominate, and and because of their insecurity, they have to prop themselves up to make themselves feel a little bit better. And this goes just the opposite. In fact, I would argue that being curious about the other person, that you actually are very interested in what's going on in the other person's life, that is a form of humility. And look what the scripture says about being humble. Psalm 149.4, for the Lord delights in his people, he crowns the humble with victory. You know, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the little children. And most scholars believe that one of the elements that Jesus was talking about when he was affirming the children and saying the kingdom was theirs, he was saying that part of what he was talking about is how curious they are that they have this joyful lightheartedness and a curiosity that is just born out of their humility. They know they don't know it all. And so they're curious about everything. So be curious, that's the first tip. Second tip, be open-ended. Be open-ended with your questions. Be open-ended, asking questions that get people to reveal not only what happened, but also what they were thinking and feeling. You see, your open-ended questions prevent you from making judgments based on your assumptions, and so you'll receive some surprising and thoughtful answers. If you're taking notes, use what questions, how questions, and why questions to encourage dialogue. So for example, using the question, how are you, is a better question than, are you good? Because what answer does, are you good, elicit? A yes or a no. That's right, but how are you hopefully is more open-ended and so it will draw more kinds of opportunities for discussion. Here's another tip. Uh, In your open-ended question, you should never use a question that answers itself. For example, oh, that's a good thing, right? What what you're doing is you're answering the question for the person. And, And the problem is, well, if it wasn't a good thing, then then they're gonna start by arguing with you. No, no, that wasn't a good thing. It's not just an answer, that's an argument that's taking place. And so you don't wanna answer the question for a person, leave it open-ended, okay? So be open-ended. The, the second fill-in here is that you would practice active listening. Active listening, that you would have thoughtful, gentle questions and that you would practice active listening. In James 1.19, We read, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. You might want to circle that phrase. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You do realize, of course, there is biological support for this verse, right? That you have two ears and only one mouth. You you, you guys, friends, you only have one mouth. Don't wear it out, okay? Okay. And, and yet, the idea is that it should be twice as easy to listen as it is to talk, but how rare is that? How rare is it to find someone who is twice as ready to listen to you than they are to speak, or even yourself? How, how many more times are we twice as apt to speak than we are to listen? Okay, Stephen Covey is this leadership guru. He wrote uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Habit number five, he says, is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And I would tell you that this alone, the, the practicing 
listening, being active in your listening, this alone will make you seem wise, wiser than you might in fact be. In fact, look what the scripture says here in Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. <laughs> Let me confess, I have taken advantage of this verse many times in my life. There are times when somebody wants to meet with me for counsel and they'll come and they'll start talking to me and, and what I'll do is I'll ask questions and I'll listen to them actively and we'll spend an hour together and then they'll leave and, and I was like, ah, man, I had nothing. I didn't have any wisdom to offer. I had no advice or whatever. And, and then I'll get an email from them and they'll say, oh, thank you, pastor, for helping me so much. Thank you. I'm like, I, I didn't do anything, you know? I had nothing, but, but what, I was quiet, and they thought, hey, that's beautiful. He's quiet. That's great. So I just want you to understand that there is power here in, in active listening. There's power in thoughtful, thoughtful questions. Okay. If you even think about the power in counseling, what, what is a counseling hour? If you were to go pay for an hour of counsel, what you're really receiving is an hour of great question asking and active listening. Because there's something incredibly caregiving and something incredibly healing that happens when I'm asked good questions and I'm forced to process verbally with someone who really is interested in what's going on. Okay, uh, I do want you to know that several life groups are moving to a place now where they're starting their, their meetings with the sharing of one or two stories. And I got an email from Pastor Pat this week saying that it's amazing how you never really know someone until you hear their story. This is amazing value of listening. So a couple of tips. The first is that you would be engaged. When you ask questions, show that you're interested with affirming facial expressions, engaged body language. This sets up further questions and, and it gets the individual to reveal things that are important and perhaps more sensitive than they thought that maybe they felt free in sharing, but because you're interested, you're giving them safety in that moment because you're engaged. And so I do want you to understand that you listen not only with your ears, but you listen with your eyes and you listen with your posture. Okay. So often, friends, what we're doing is, is we are we're sleepwalking through our conversations and we are disengaged. We might be thinking about the next thing we're gonna say. We might be thinking about how what they're saying relates to something that happened in my life so I can't wait to share it. We might be thinking about how you really wanna check your phone to see the latest updates on whatever. See, we're, we're very disengaged so you can see how powerful it would be to be engaged. And if you want to write yourself a question around this, you know, it really is good, we do this from time to time, to just reflect on how would Jesus listen to this person I'm talking to? If Jesus was here right now, how would he be engaged? And then try to get yourself the posture of, of your heart where you believe that Jesus would be in that moment. So be engaged, and the next here is dig, dig deeper. Be persistent in your questions. Dig for details without judgment. Get the whole story. Sometimes you do ask an open-ended question and you are interested and engaged. You say, hey, how was your day? And they answer, fine. And it doesn't look like there's much conversation going on. Then I would encourage you to persist. 
I would encourage you to dig a little deeper. See what other questions you can ask that would get someone to help open up. And I do want you to look at this passage from the scripture. Jesus, he, he, this is an incredible passage. He accidentally heals a woman. She's the proactive one in this equation. She's the one who's reaching out to Jesus. And then I want you to see how Jesus responds to her. This is from uh, the voice uh, translation. It says, Jesus began traveling with Jairus toward his home. In the crowd pressing around Jesus, there was a woman who had suffered continuous bleeding for 12 years, bleeding that made her ritually unclean and an outcast according to the purity laws. She had suffered greatly, and although she'd spent all her money on medical care, she had only gotten worse. She heard of this miracle man, Jesus. So she snuck up behind him in the crowd and reached out her hand to touch his cloak. Woman, to herself, even if all I touch are his clothes, I know I'll be healed. As soon as her fingers brushed his cloak, the bleeding stopped. She could feel that she was whole again. Lots of people were pressed against Jesus at that moment, but he immediately felt her touch. He felt the healing power flow out of him. He stopped. Everyone stopped. He looked around. Who touched my robe? His disciples broke the uneasy silence. Jesus, the crowd is so thick that everyone's touching you. Why do you ask who touched me? But Jesus waited. His gaze swept the crowd to see who had done it. At last, the woman, knowing he was talking about her, pushed forward and dropped to her knees. She was shaking with fear and amazement. I touched you. Then she told him the reason why. Some of your translations, uh, that phrase is, is translated, she told him the whole story. And then the next phrase, Jesus listened to her story. Daughter, you are well because you dared to believe. Go in peace and stay well. So I want you to see what's happening here. What, what Jesus is doing is everything we've talked about so far. But specifically, Jesus dug deeper. He was persistent. He wasn't just rushing through that moment. He was willing to take some time and to invest. He, he knew there was a story behind what had just happened, and he knew it was important for her to speak that story, and it was important for him to listen to that story. So what he did is he, he takes the time, he digs deeper, he creates space for her to share, and then he validates her, he honors her in that process, and then he affirms her before he moves on. That is a powerful experience there. And, and what he's doing is he has now cared for her burdens in more than just her physical body. See, the scripture says this in Galatians chapter six, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. So much of pastoral ministry is simply that. It's, it's caring for a person in conversation. It's the way in which you're asking questions, the way in which you're listening, the way in which you're digging deeper. I found this quote from a man named Randall Wallace. He wrote the movie Braveheart, directed the movie Secretariat. He says, people will remember almost nothing you say. They'll only remember a little bit more of what you do, but all their lives they'll remember how you made them feel. So think about how Jesus made people feel. The way in which Jesus made people feel was so powerful they never forgot it for the rest of their lives. And that is the challenge that you and I have, that we get the privilege of seeking to make people feel the way Jesus made people feel loved, cared for, seen, and heard. 
I found another quote from Brene Brown. She says, if we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. What a powerful statement. So the challenge is that we would not only be thoughtful question askers, but we would be grace-filled listeners. That we wouldn't respond reactionary, we would suspend our judgment, and that we would gain a reputation of being a good listener who understands that the person we're talking to is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. See, this is how God sees us, each one of us, as individuals. And he knows everything about us, and yet he chooses to love us intentionally. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. See, God knows everything about us. He knows what we're going to say even before we say it. And yet in the midst of knowing everything about us, he chooses to love us without condition. He chooses to love us without limit. And that is the opportunity that we have when we're getting to know someone is that we're seeking not only to know them, but to bring God's love right in the midst of that experience. The third fill in here is that we would ask permission to speak in. First, we ask good questions, thoughtful questions, kind, gentle questions. Second, we practice active listening, that we listen well, that we're engaged in the conversation. And once we've done those things, then we have the freedom to ask permission to speak in. See, it is true that when trust is established, friends give permission for you to speak into their story. The old adage is true that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So invest time caring so that you will be able to ask a question. Hey, can I speak into that story? So you might want to say something like this. Hey, can I affirm something that I'm hearing in you? Or may I talk about a pattern that I'm seeing in your story? Can I, may I? These are the best questions that you can ask. You know, even Jesus asked the blind man, what would you like for me to do? Right? That, that, that do you want to be healed? Right? There's, there's, there's permission asking that Jesus does on the front end. And then, of course, he, he does then follow up and heal the man. But I want you to see that even your words can be powerful healing agents in the lives of those that you're, that you're you know, doing life with. Proverbs 12, 18 says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. You might want to underline that last phrase. So that's what we want to go after. After we've invested the time in asking questions and listening, then we can be free to speak in. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let everything you say be good and helpful, so your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You know, sometimes by speaking in, you, uh, what, you, what you want to do is you want to gently help people reframe the way that they're thinking about an experience. I'll give one example. A friend of mine on Facebook, she had a great chalkboard that she had taken a picture of and kind of posted. And there was a little bit of complaining that day. I mean, not like horrible, but it was just kind of funny about how here's the fruit of the Spirit on one side and then how everything in her house seemed like it wasn't lining up next to the fruit of the Spirit. 
And, I, and, and you know, it's was, it was really funny, and there was quite a few comments that were made. But one of the things that I felt like right when I saw it is I, I felt like, yeah, but do you even see how incredible it is that you're keeping in mind the fruit of the Spirit? that these are the values you want for your home, that these are the the character qualities that you're striving for in your own life. And so I I just hit a quick message like, hey, I give you an A for effort, that you're you're keeping all of this stuff in mind and and even being self-aware enough to see where it is that you're falling short. And, and I say that because what was I doing in that moment? I, I wasn't changing everything. I wasn't saying, you know, no, that's not happening in your home or in your life or that's not a struggle that we all have. I was simply saying, how incredible is it that this is such a value in your home that you're that aware? Helping reframe. I, one of the guys that I listened to is a pastor named Graham Cook, and he was sharing a story I found this incredible story, and I've actually seen this play out in some different ways over the course of my ministry. But he was talking to a friend of his, and she was moving to a new town to take a new job. And in the course of that conversation, she had communicated to to her pastor, Pastor Graham Cook, that she was absolutely terrified. Those were, I'm absolutely terrified about this. And so, you know, her friend and pastor, Graham, he just said, well, that's so interesting that, that that's kind of how you're feeling about this because I just want to ask you, do you believe that God is ahead of you? Like, do, do you, is that a part of your faith experience? Do you believe that God's already in that town and he's already in that job and, and that he's already caring for you even before you get there? And, and she was like, well, yeah, pastor, you know, that's what I believe. And that's, you know, that's just a part of my framework. And he said, so let me just ask you, are you really absolutely terrified or are you kind of highly anxious? And she chuckled a little bit. She said, well, I guess I'm more highly anxious about this move. And he, he said, oh, that's, that's great. That, that, I get that, you know. And, and then he asked her, well, tell me this. Have you ever seen a time in your life where God did show up for you, where God did provide for you, did meet your needs? And, and she said, yeah, Pastor, you know, it's this experience and, and this experience. She shared a couple of times that God had just met her in her need. And he said, Oh, that's interesting. So would you say that, that you're highly anxious or would you say that maybe you're just slightly nervous uh, about this upcoming move? And, and she laughed, kind of like some of you are doing, and she said, well, yeah, maybe I'm just slightly nervous. And so Graham Cook said, well, I tell you what, I, I want you, I, I sort of know the town that you're moving in, and I, I would just have you, is there anything about that town that, that would be good for you and your family? Is there anything about that job that you're kind of looking forward to? And she began to answer that question, and, and she was answering the question about the place she was moving and the weather there, you know, and, and the, the job she was going to be taking. And he says, you know, I don't mean to interrupt you, but as you're answering that question, I'm hearing some excitement in your voice. He said, could it be that you're actually not just slightly nervous, but you're kind of hopefully optimistic? And she chuckled, and she said, yeah, Pastor, it is true. There's a lot that I'm looking forward to about this move. And, and I heard that story, and you know what I thought? I thought, that's a good day's work for a pastor right there. <laughs> he helped her move from absolutely terrified to hopefully optimistic, right? Did he change anything about her circumstances? No. Exactly the same circumstances, but what he was helping her do is reframe the way in which she was processing And so what a beautiful opportunity we might have in our conversations as we're asking good questions, as we're actively listening to maybe 
help reframe. Now, I say this to Christians, and instantly I want to be aware that there are three problems Christians have about reframing. You might want to write these down, write them down, and then never do them, okay? These are, these are bad. These are not good. We do not want to be guilty of these three things, but these are things that Christians have when it comes to helping people reframe. First thing we do is we help people reframe without listening to them. So we don't listen first. We just tell them what they need to do. Bad, bad call. Second thing that Christians do is we help them reframe simply by switching topics. Ah, it's a bummer that your dad died. At least your mom's still alive. Like, that's switching topics. That's bad. Don't do it. Again, only write this down so that you never do this, okay? And then the third thing that we do is we reframe by invalidating their experience. Oh, you're worried about that? That's nothing, Ah, don't be dumb. Don't, don't worry about it. That's nothing, you know. And we just, we just poo-poo the experience that they've gone through or, or the concerns in which they have. So those are things that I, I don't want anybody to overlook to be guilty of those things as we go through our life. But in actuality, the best way to help people reframe is by asking questions. And it could be questions like this. Wow, that seems like that's a hard experience. Tell me, where, where do you draw your strength from? How do you replenish your courage while you go through circumstances like that? If you know that there's even an openness to a, a, a faith, you could ask, hey, hey, tell me, is there any place along your journey where you see God showing up for you? And, and, and just have them process something like that. If you feel the need to speak a statement into their life, you might want to speak a statement that says something like, you know, it sounds like you're right in the middle of an amazing story that it's right before the good part happens. Tell me how you'd like the rest of the story to go if you were writing the script. And just get them to think about what's coming next. Now, I'll share a story that happened this week. My, my wife, Jody was being introduced to someone by a friend that she had never met before. And in the course of that introduction somehow, that uh, the way that Jody was introduced was that she was the wife of the pastor of Overlake Christian Church. And, I, and there's nothing wrong with that. And of course, Jody and I are not embarrassed by that at all personally. It's just that the image that that portrays in some people's minds, it's like suddenly we become the old man and woman from the American Gothic, uh, you know, painting, right? That we're just like, Rrr. and uh, it's, just, it's just a way that now it's harder to get to know people sometimes. And so, so Jody, you know, her, that's how she was introduced. And the person immediately said, oh, church is not for me. And so Jody, just in that moment, she said, oh, I am so sorry. It's, it sounds like there's pain behind that statement. Tell me, was there a time when a church wounded you? And it opened up a story. And yeah, there was in this person's young adulthood in a very sensitive season of their life when they needed, they needed grace. More than anything else, what they received was judgment and rejection. And she hadn't been back to church for 20 years. And so all Jody said was something like, I, I am so sorry. That is exactly the opposite of the way Jesus wants us to love just totally validated her experience. 
You know, it's interesting that later on in the course of the evening, that, that person cycled back to Jody and just said, hey, thank you for listening to me earlier. She said, tell me a little bit about the church that you guys go to. And what I want you to see is by doing these things carefully, right, by asking good questions and by being an active listener and, and, and by being willing maybe to help people reframe, what you're doing is you're leaving a door open for significant and spiritual conversations, right? That's what you want. You want to open the door with your care and your love. Unless you think this is a bit dodgy or a little manipulative, I, I just want you to understand that while... You know, events in somebody's life are pretty solid. You know, the facts of someone's life, those are pretty stable. But our perceptions of those facts and our attitudes about those events, those things are incredibly fluid. And it is not manipulative at all to help people see maybe a more hopeful reality about what they're going through. It's not manipulative at all to help people perhaps embrace an attitude of faith that maybe where they assumed God was absent, they're willing to just ponder, consider the reality that God was right there with them in the midst. And that's what we want to do, and that's the challenge that, that I lay before you today. But I, I don't want to do this without allowing you to hear a, a, a brother's story. So I'm going to invite my friend George to come and share with us. George, why don't you come up, and would you please welcome George Ramirez as he comes to share. Come on up, my brother. Great to see you. Good to see you. Here you go. You're going to need oh. this. Okay, thank you. I don't speak that loud, do I? <laughs> well. Thank you for sharing your story with us, George. I want to begin by asking, can you tell me about the diagnosis? Uh, yes, uh, you're more than welcome. It is a, not only an honor, but a pleasure to be able to share the things that the Lord is doing in my life. Uh, back in uh, 2012, I was uh, actually being treated for a back injury that I had back then. And uh, one night, I, uh, the pain was so excruciating that I couldn't take it anymore, so I ended up going to Evergreen Emergency Room. Uh, this night, little did I know that my life was about to change drastically. Never expected the news that they gave me. Uh, they uh, administered some uh, uh, medication for the pain, then they did some lab work, and a few hours later, the doctor came in and uh, he told me that I, my PSA level was at 2,000 and it's supposed to be at 0.3 or something like that, which means or which meant that I had um, terminal stage four prostate cancer. And uh, that was quite a shock. It was not my back. It was uh, uh, pretty much the end of the rope. And um, the thing is that we, in life, sometimes we hear this, we watch movies, could be a movie, could be a friend, or even a relative, but it's never, it just, at least me, I never thought that I would end up with this. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, and, and you had mentioned to me as we spoke a couple weeks ago, they basically gave you like a 12-month window. Uh, yes, they did. Uh, the following day, I went to, uh, I was admi admitted at ICU in Evergreen, 
and uh, they kept me there for two weeks, and that's when, when they told me that, um, that I only had a year, approximately a year to live, and that I should get my paperwork in order. Okay. So uh, when I heard that, I just couldn't believe. I didn't even understand. Some of my friends were there. In fact, my Overlake uh, 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 family friends were there. Uh, some of them spent the night. They brought me flowers. They treated me like a king. But nevertheless, the reality was that, that I was sick. And, uh, and they told me that uh, my prognosis was that I had about a year left to live. And uh, it was horrible. Yeah. And how did you, immediately, how did you begin to process, and, and even, some, what were some of the ways in which your friends were, were caring for you during that season? Oh my gosh. You know, we, we hear it every weekend. There's so many things that we take for granted, Mike. Mm. Uh, life. <laughs> uh, but our friendships in our church, we take for granted. Yeah. We hear it, and we, uh, I know we hear, Pat, join a life group. And we go, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Or at least that's what I said. And <laughs> I did. And, and so, but two years ago, uh, a friend of mine and I were co-leading a 40-plus uh, singles group. And so because of that, I got to make a lot of friends. And those friends, I'm telling you, the Bible starts to become real. And you, you realize why it says through you, Mike, you know, that the Bible says to, we should congregate. Mm. For what? I can handle I'm a, lo I'm a loner. I'm a lone wolf. Uh, no. God knew this in his infinite right. wisdom. Right. He knows that we got to have one another so that we can pray for one another. We can help one another. And my friends were there that night. Yeah. I'm telling you, that was one of the most beautiful things. And I realized back then that that it, how precious it was. Right. And I would never, um, uh, no, I would be able to go through this, but not the way I did, because my friends have been there. I know that they're praying. I believe in prayer now. I know uh, there's a lot of times that I find myself in the darkest moment of my life, and I know there's somebody praying for me. And, and I love that. What was the, uh, when you woke up, there was a sign on the, on the wall. Oh my gosh, that was so, at this point, um, I was angry. That was my first reaction because I had started coming to church and I was trying to be a good father. And so I thought, Lord, I'm being a good guy now. And so when, when they gave me the news, I thought, no, why are you doing this to me? Why did you give me cancer? And so one of the first things that I, that I remember when I woke up the following day at the ICU, uh, there was a picture, a frame that said, expect a miracle and you know it could be a cute thing for some people it could be meaningless but at that point in my life I needed my faith to spark up and and boy that did it it, it such sometimes it could be a smile sometimes some, sometimes it could be those words and those words back then meant it was my lifeline yeah it was my lifeline that's great so so George, fa fast forward a little bit. You had mentioned to me that before the diagnosis, your life was kind of like this, and, and God has taken some of those things away. Now your life looks like this, but, but sort of talk to us about that trade-off. Um, okay, so now 
Um, according to the doctors, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm right. supposed to be dead. Touch me. <laughs> I'm alive. <laughs> yep. Good you know, stuff, man. And I'm, I'm uh, walking. You know, let me say something before I say what I was about to say, that I am not very spiritual, so by no means do I want anybody to think, oh, well, yeah, this guy, you know, he, he probably prays every day and before he gets up or who knows what. No, I'm not. And, and uh, I've said it before, and the reason why I say this is because it is very important. It, it validates the story uh, that I'm not, uh, uh, in fact, I would probably qualify one of the worst Christians in the church. Why? Because it's the truth. You know, I, I, I've never been, I pick up the Bible and I can uh, try to read and two verses later, I'm falling asleep. <laughs> I don't know how to pray, uh, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not very spiritual. And um, what was I saying, Mike? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Thanks a lot. Uh, George, no. I'm just... I know. I lost it. No, no. Like, talk talk to us about what your, what your life was like and then, and then what it's like now because that's so powerful, George. The, well, um, so they gave me, they gave me a year. That, that was the, the, the highlights, and I can only share some because there's so many, but they told me that I, was, uh, that I had so much, only so much time. Well, I'm living every single day. It's a miracle day for me. Because I'm supposed to be dead. I'm not dead. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is that I went to do an MRI recently, about three months ago, and the doctor tells me that cancer is spreading. It continues to spread. And so I came to the Lord, and now it seems like he's revealing to me some things that, that are really kind of really cool. Um, so I, I came to the Lord and I said, Lord, what's going on? I mean, I'm dying. I thought you were going to, I mean, I believe that you can heal me. What's going on? And you know, the, some of the things that he's teaching me is that he's the God of impossibility. He, I could be dying inside and I won't die. I mean, if he raised a dead man, he can have me half dead walking for another 20 years. I don't know. I don't know what, what God has in mind, but I've realized that. And now he's... Uh, he's uh, revealing uh, some r nice, beautiful things in my life. Why I ended up with cancer? Because I started accusing him. I started saying, you gave me this, you gave me that. And with so much love and patience, he has taken me by the hand and he has said, no, son, <laughs> you did this. There's consequences for what we do, whether it was the smoking I did, the partying that I did, the fast life that I lived. I was a maniac uh, worker, self-employed, blah, 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 blah. And so all of that lifestyle actually caught up on, uh, to me, I think. <laughs> so I'm going to ask it thir the third time now. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> this is so beautiful, man, and I want to make sure Overlake gets it. You, you had all this stuff going on in your life. Now you've got a different set of circumstances but yet somehow God is growing you and blessing you through that. And if you, if, if you don't get it, I'll just say it after you sit down. So <laughs> okay, like, don't, yeah, don't worry. Okay. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little nervous here. Uh, well, give me a hint. <laughs> <laughs> so, so not too many people have their own airplanes. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I, um, I actually, in, in the past, I did 
pretty well financially, and so I had my own plane, I had fancy cars, I lived in Orange County, um, blah, 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 blah. So, uh, but you know... And now you live in... Even though having, <laughs> having the things that I had, I had an empty life, and I didn't, right. I wasn't really happy. Right, right. Now, I live in Kirkland, very humble garage, <laughs> and, and I am the happiest that I have ever been. I have... Uh, you know, cancer, I'm supposed to be dying, and I'm the happiest. How do you figure that? I have no idea. The only thing I can say is that I have Jesus in my heart, and He has touched me in such a way that I can really say this, and um, I don't really know, like they say, what the future holds, but I know one thing. I know who holds the future, and it's our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. Come on. Come on, man. That's so great. Thank you, George. So I do want you to understand that George is still in the middle of this story. So often, sometimes you hear a testimony, and, and what it sounds like is it's all wrapped up in a nice bow. And I want you to understand that George is still walking the road. And that's why, George, we're so thankful that you have come and shared with us right in the middle of this story. Um, we're going to continue to pray for George. In fact, just as we wrap up here in a moment, that's what I want to ask you to do is join me. And we're going to pray for George because we do believe that God can heal. We do believe that there's power in prayer. And so, so we're going to pray. But, but I do want to make sure that you understand what he said. He's, he doesn't know the future. He knows who holds it. And, and that is a powerful story. That's a, a way in which we can all be encouraged. So I, I just want to wrap up by saying... <clears throat> This has not been a difficult message to understand, but it will be a challenging message for you to put into practice. And so I really want you to think right now of the people that God has you around, the people that he wants you to intersect with this week. And will you be willing to, to thoughtfully ask questions? Will you be willing to actively listen to their story? Will you be willing to, to ask permission to maybe speak in? And I want you to understand that these three truths that we're covering, this is all of what pastoral work 101 looks like. This is what Jesus did day in and day out as he lived his earthly ministry. And we get the incredible privilege of walking in his footsteps and being the pastors in the parishes that he has placed us in. And so I, I, I just want to ask right now that if you would, if you'd bow your heads and, and join me in prayer, we're going to pray for George, and we're going to pray that God would, would give us the courage to live out this challenge in our, in our lives this week. Jesus, we do want to lift George up to you right now, and we want to thank you for his joy. We want to thank you for his passion. We want to thank you for the way in which you are meeting him and the way in which you are allowing him to live every day as a miracle day right now. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, together as a, the family of God here at Overlake, we all agree as we lift George up to you that, that you can heal. We agree that you can remove this cancer. And so, Jesus, that is what we pray for, that you are the great physician. We pray that you would remove this cancer in Jesus' name. 
And Jesus, we, we trust that you do have George and that you are wrapping him right now in, in your loving arms. And Lord Jesus, what we want to do right now is we want to pray for, uh, for the way in which we're going to take this challenge today. Lord, we see how you have been so good at, at asking questions and at listening intently and, and, and then speaking your truth into our lives. And so Jesus, we just ask that you would show us how we could thoughtfully and carefully do that this week. We know that you have placed people in our work, you've placed people in our classrooms, our neighborhoods, that you love so dearly. And so we ask that you would provide opportunity for us to draw their stories out and that you would provide us the courage to go ahead and to persist and to dig deeper, knowing that we have an opportunity to communicate your care and honor. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, Lord, and we ask that you'd be with us as we continue to praise you today. It's in your name, amen.